You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Flip. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, today is trade deadline day, so we're going to have to look at that quite a bit. Um, Generally speaking, it it feels like when I say that I'm going to do that, I myself kind of roll my own eyes like, dude, you're just taking the day off. You know what I mean? Like, you know the Packers aren't going to do anything, and it's a long week, and so you're digging into potential trade targets because you're just grasping at straws. But that really isn't the case. It, it, it just isn't. And I think we need to be reminded of uh, what we've been going through this year. And, and it's funny because... When we saw, when I saw the news about the Rams picking up Von Miller, my first instinct was to say that's something the Packers wouldn't do. And my second instinct immediately was, dude, I wonder if the Packers are just looking to one-up that. Because they've been one of the more aggressive teams um, as far as picking up people. I think since Gutekunst came here, maybe not necessarily the biggest names, but there's a lot of big names that are not good football players that get picked up for massive amounts of money and suck. But in terms of some of the most uh, impactful free agent pickups, you look at Amos and Zadarius and now Devondre Campbell, um, you know, even Billy Turner and Preston Smith have been, you know, starters pretty much every day. And um, anyways, that got followed up uh, with a quote from Mr. Matt LaFleur. Um, Apparently the quote is, the Green Bay Packers front office, Brian Gutekunst, are working extremely hard trying to find something. I've got, um, I think, one of the more full quotes here. Let me see if I can find one better. This is via Pro Football Talk. Um, If the right opportunity uh, presents itself, I think that's something we could be involved with. Uh, LaFleur went on to say, I know Goody and his staff are working extremely hard at trying to find something. It's just whether or not the right opportunity exists. So, I mean, the, the cool thing here is several fold. I mean, it has nothing to do with knowing that they're going to do something. The Packers are never going to just do something for the sake of doing something, no matter how much fans may want that. Just go get somebody with a big name and make it happen. They're not going to do that. The cool part about this is uh, sort of twofold. Number one, there's a big list of guys that I bet they'd be willing to get. Uh, there's, there's a lot of guys. We're talking big name guys, little name guys, whatever that they're on the phone right now discussing and talking about making a deal for. The second part that's kind of cool is we know the Packers are willing to be aggressive. Now, one of the things that they don't seem generally excited about doing is giving up draft picks. Now, they do do that very rarely, um, but generally it's going to be late round picks. In fact, I'm, I'm trying, and I'm sure I'm using this search improperly, I'm trying to find one time where they used a top three pick to acquire a player, and I'm kind of struggling to find something. I see Matt Hasselbeck, but that was a swap. Um, gave up a sixth for Trevor Davis, a sixth for Reggie Gilbert. Uh, or we, we got those things, excuse me. Yeah, I'm doing this backwards. Man, give me one here. Ryan Grant, a sixth? Is that right? Yeah, we picked up Ryan Grant for a sixth. Um, <laughs> I'm trying. Used a fourth to pick up Terry Glenn from the Patriots. Literally the only thing I can find, and I'm sure I'm missing one here, but uh, we traded a second round pick and we got back a fourth, but we gave up a second round pick in 1995 for Keith Jackson. That's pretty much all I can find. Otherwise, there's like two two times we gave up a fourth for a pick for a, a player. It's just not something the the Packers really do. 
So you look at the trade for Von Miller and you understand that although there is money on top of it and age and everything else, they also gave up a second and a third. Finding the Packers just giving up a third for somebody is is extremely rare. So that's going to be complicated because teams covet picks and nobody covets picks more than the Packers. And um, you're going to have teams saying, all right, I, you want this guy, that's fine. Give me all the picks. And the Packers are going to say, no, thank you. And that'll be about the end of the conversation. Um the good news is I don't know that there's a lot of players on the trade block right now that are going to command a first, second, or third round pick. Uh, and if we say that the Packers are willing to do a fourth or later, I think that pretty much covers the spectrum of anybody that might be available. I can't think of anybody, not including you know Deshaun Watson, who I'm just not even going to entertain that for any team. I can't think of too many people that are legitimate trade candidates that... Um, would command a first, second, or third round pick. But uh, I've got a list of guys that we can go through, and I also asked the question to the patrons, um, who are some players or just positions that you'd like to see the Packers go after. Um, It's always good to kind of put it in that context because some people, I think especially the people that get the most angry, usually people that don't have their own solutions, they want the Packers to just manufacture solutions, right? Just go get somebody. Well, who would you like them to get? Well, I, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. I just know that they didn't go get somebody that gets me excited and I'm mad about it. That's about the extent of that. But um, no, I did ask for some uh, some people to throw out some names. And and again, it's just kind of fun to do that because as, as much as even I'm sitting here like, dude, do something, do something crazy. I'm looking at the names and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. It'd be all right, I guess. I mean, it'd be, I mean I'll be excited, but you know, it's probably not going to really change the world. But anyways, we're, uh, we're going to do that. We'll start with um, what the patrons said, because that's most important. Also, by the way, a couple things for Patreon. First of all, uh, Gary, thank you so much for jumping in, uh, jumping back on Patreon. I really do appreciate that. Creating his own tier, which you got to love that, but I do appreciate that. Um, one of the things that I did ask, sent out a question to the patrons, and I was like, look, what are some things that you would like me to do on Patreon? Obviously, my time is limited, Um, but who knows, there might be some creative ideas that I just haven't thought of that people can throw out there and maybe I'll try it. Um, because I really do want to build out Patreon, you know, um, I think about the fact that it's only a dollar a month and I should be able to think of something that, um, would make people that listen to this podcast go, dude, that's worth a buck, you know? Cause again, if I get everybody on this podcast to be like, dude, that's a buck for sure. I'll give you a buck for that. I'm good. I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to work. So, uh, more importantly, I have to ask people that are not on Patreon, so I want to reach that out to you. Hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, wherever it is that you can get a hold of me, and just be like, all right, I'm not on Patreon, but if you did this, I'd give you a buck a month. I hope it's not something super crazy, because again, it's just a buck, but if you can think of something, be like, if you did something like this, I'd be in on it. I mean, I'd be willing to completely pull off a YouTube and just do uh, Patreon-only streams. I mean, I could do a, a daily you know, if we're just talking like five-minute check-in videos or whatever, I don't know, we'll, we'll figure something out. But again, I'm, I'd am i be willing to shift my time around significantly, but I, I would just need to hear from a lot of people saying, if you did something like this, I'd be all in. Um, so I, I want to kind of start off with that. Uh, some people are talking uh, giveaways, uh, you know, behind the scenes, whatever. Um, again, just if, if there's a barrier of any kind, please let me know what that is, because I'd like to burst through that as quickly as possible. I think, what did it say? Last month, we had 10 new patrons. I'd like to see if we could double that this month and see if we get 20 patrons. So tell me how I can bribe you, please. I should throw that on Twitter and Facebook, too. I'm going to do that right this second, actually. But all right, let's take a look at a couple different candidates that uh, the patrons thought of. Number one, this was brought uh, via Mr. David Davis. He says, Fletcher Cox would be a dream come true. So there's probably going to be a common theme here. The, the first thing I want to look at is, is this who we think they are? And then up, number two is, if they're not, do we expect something like we saw with Whitney Merciless or Devondre Campbell, where maybe they're not what they used to be, but if they come here, they can be again, and that would be incredible. Fletcher Cox is the perfect first person to look at because um, he's kind of like Whitney Merciless on steroids, but not literally, but maybe literally, but that's beside the point entirely. Because Fletcher Cox, um, for many years, was one of the best, if not the best, defensive tackles in football. We're talking from about 2014 through about 2019, dominant. Um, 90 overall grade was pretty standard for him. 
Um, in fact, in 2018, 92.3 overall grade, 84 run defense, 91.5 pass rush. He had 101 pressures, which is stupid, on top of 11 sacks. Um, 2020, though, he dropped off. 74 overall grade, 71 run defense, 71 pass rush, 43 pressures and 8 sacks. I'll still take 8 sacks, but a decline across the board. Um, and the pressures actually plummeted. The sacks were just extremely high as a percentage. The year prior, he had 60 pressures, which was 17 more, but half the amount of sacks. Anyways, this year so far, 63.7 overall grade, 51 run defense, 72 pass rush. He has 18 pressures on the season and only one sack. Um, in terms of his grades for the season, here's how he graded out every single week. 68, 48, 63, 47, 81, 44, 82, and 62. So he's had two just dominant games. One was against Las Vegas. One was against Carolina. The Carolina game, he had six pressures on 34 attempts. So that's obviously massive. But overall, he's just clearly not the same guy. He's nearly 31 years old. Um, again, the, the question, though, is, is there reason to believe that if he comes back here, things will improve? Because you got to remember, from 2014 through 2019, Philadelphia wasn't just Fletcher Cox. If we go back to his, uh, what did I say, 2014 was, no, 2018. Let's look at 2018. So in 2018, if you look at that uh, defense overall, uh, you didn't just have Fletcher Cox, and obviously he was the best overall, but you had Brandon Graham off the edge. Um, you had Trayvon Hester, who was a defensive tackle, who was graded out as basically elite. Jordan Hicks at linebacker. Michael Bennett is a great edge rusher. Chris Long was there that year as an edge rusher. They brought in Haloti Nada, who wasn't exactly in his prime, but another really good defensive tackle, a big old nose tackle. If you look at 2017 again, Brandon Graham off the edge, 90.4 overall grade. Um, Chris Long had an 85 overall grade. Again, Michael Kendricks, a, a just dominant linebacker. Uh, Vinny Curry off the edge is an 80 overall grade. So they had some really good players. If you go back to 2016, um, Brandon Graham, 91.4 overall grade. Jordan Hicks, the linebacker, 88 overall grade. Fletcher Cox was in there, 84. Um, you know, again, Vinnie Curry, uh, some other guys that weren't necessarily super dominant, but just added to this diet. Bottom line, the Eagles for many, many years just had a very stout, stout front. Um, again, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Jordan Hicks, uh, Benny Logan, graded out really, really well. You had Connor Barwin. Remember Connor Barwin? That dude was solid. I think this was kind of the downswing of Connor Barwin, but that dude was good. Again, 2014, Michael Kendricks, one of the top linebackers in football. Uh, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox. And this doesn't even include the safeties like Malcolm Jenkins uh, that were there all these years also. Uh, Connor Barwin again. If you look at what he's working with this year, um, the highest graded defensive lineman is Josh Sweat who has been generally a uh, kind of low-end number three type of guy, not a very good football player. Um, he's at a 74 overall grade. After that, you got to come all the way down to uh, Teron Jackson, 65.4 overall grade off the edge. Ryan Kerrigan, longtime Washington football team edge rusher, uh, 65 overall grade. Javon Hargrave, 64. And then you got Fletcher Cox at a 63. So, you know, obviously this is a, a bigger decline than to just say, well, he's only that good because of those other guys, and he's only this bad because he doesn't have a good supporting cast. I mean, it, you know, having all those really good players doesn't make you elite. I can go back to 2015 and show you all the defensive tackles who sucked those years. The point is he was really good because he was really good. But if you have a, a, a decline of... First of all, the guys around you are not doing their job, so you're seeing a ton of double teams. That's a problem. If you've got a new defensive coordinator, on and on and on and on and on, right? Um, these are the kinds of things that can cause you to be seemingly worse than you actually are when, again, like um, Whitney Merciless, you got a little bit left in the tank. It's just nobody really knows it. So what did I do with Whitney Merciless? I said, okay, Let's assume that because he's so good and because the talent around him has declined, same with Whitney Merciless. They had a really good defensive group in general for the Texans for many, many years that has just completely fallen apart, and now he's basically the only guy worth anything over there. 
And so he's getting a lot more double teams and those kinds of things and, and whatever. So we looked at where he was, and then we looked at true pass sets. And we say if there's a significant jump in how much better you are in true pass sets, which again is basically saying we're going to eliminate the positive and the negative nonsense. Like if you blitz seven, you're going to have a better opportunity to win. So that doesn't really count. Likewise, if you rush three, you're not going to win very much. Or if they're just doubling you up and then letting everybody else go man on man, you obviously don't have a very good opportunity. So just looking at when it's one-on-one, how well do you do? Well, if we look at just general pressures and his general win percent, he wins 13% of the time. Kenny Clark, for reference, is 6th at 16.5. Fletcher Cox is 23rd. That's not great. 13% is not bad as a general pressure percentage, um, but as a win percentage, which is higher because you may not get a pressure, but you whoop the guy in front of you, pressure percentage or win percentage is higher than pressure percentage. And so he has a 13% win percentage and an 8% pressure percentage, which is not great. What about true pass sets? Again, because what we're saying is if you come to Green Bay, you're not just the best guy in football anymore. You're just a guy because you can't double up Fletcher if you got Kenny and you got Rashawn and you got Zadarius, right? And you got Whitney Merciless. You can't do, I mean, you can if you want, but now we're creating one-on-one opportunities for our other guys. But the question is, is that the reason Fletcher Cox is falling off or is he just bad now? All right, well, let's take a look. So if we look at true pass sets, 16 of his 18 pressures came um, in these sort of situations. 16 of his 18, meaning he got two pressures and all these other opportunities. Remember, true pass sets aren't always going to be better. It could be worse. But uh, suffice it to say, he's had 16 of his 18, meaning the majority of the time when he's getting pressure, it's when he has these opportunities, meaning when he doesn't have these opportunities, he's probably getting double teamed, right? So that's what we can see right off the bat. All right, so how many pass rush opportunities has he had and how many pressures? So we know he's got 16 pressures. In terms of true pass sets, how many times has he rushed the passer? 98. 98 times, basically, what we're seeing is he had one-on-one opportunities, and 16 of those 98 times, he got to the quarterback. So that is about 16%. 16% of the time. Now, this is going to be higher for everybody. Again, looking at it for the—and I've never really looked at this percentage before— But Kenny Clark has 20 pressures on 134 opportunities. So 20 divided by 134, he's at 15%. So Kenny Clark has a much higher percentage than Fletcher Cox. But if we look at their one-on-one opportunities, Fletcher Cox is winning more than Kenny Clark. In fact, if we look at win percentage, this is every single defensive tackle um, that has played X amount of of, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, 20% of 322 snaps, whatever, 113 different defensive tackles. Fletcher Cox today, who has clearly seemingly fallen off, is the eighth highest win percentage of any defensive tackle. He's actually ahead of Kenny Clark, who ranks 16th when you look at true pass sets. If anything, you could say Kenny is winning with scheme and Fletcher Cox is losing because he's being double teamed like crazy. Again, one-on-one opportunities, there are eight defensive tackles that are doing better. And let's bear in mind, Aaron Donald is one of the human beings that we call a defensive tackle, so that's not even fair. But you got Javon Hargrave over in uh, Philadelphia, who's doing quite well. Um, Linval Joseph, who is now a charger. Matt Ioannidis, Jonathan Allen, Quinnen Williams, DeForest Buckner, Malik McDowell, and Fletcher Cox. There you go. There's your list of win percentage when you're looking at true pass sets. So, if you're asking me, do I think bringing Fletcher Cox over is going to mean a uh, massive increase in the the um, quality of pass rush? If nothing else, pass rush for our unit, as well as a boost and in, in, in an increase in Fletcher Cox's production when he comes to Green Bay? The answer is yes. Based on the exact same criteria that I used when I said Whitney Merciless would improve when he came to Green Bay and help out our unit. Now, Whitney Merciless is not T.J. Watt, but there's no question he's better than he has been in Houston for a very long time. And in fact, again, he was the best pass rusher we had this past week, and we still don't have Zadarius back. And so what I'm asking you to do is picture a defensive line 
That is Kenny Clark, who's having a great year. Fletcher Cox, who's arguably a better pass rusher. If we're assuming that we're going to give Fletcher Cox more one-on-one opportunities, given the kind of defense we run and the quality of players he's going to have around him, potentially a better pass rusher than Kenny Clark is. And we have Zadarius, and we have Rashawn, and we get to rotate in and out Preston and Whitney Merciless. We may have a five-man defensive line that is Kenny Clark, Fletcher Cox, Zadarius Smith, Preston or Whitney Merciless and Rashawn off the edge. So, you know, I'm not going to bang the drum and say at all cost, and I know this is going to be great and everything else. And I don't know what his asking price is going to be, but here's what I'll say. I think the fact that he's having a rough year, I think the fact that he has one sack to his name, and that's a PFF sack. I don't know if it's an even official sack uh, for the NFL. I don't feel the need to Google it. I guess I could. Don't really care. But uh, 18 pressures and one sack. We're looking at 8% pressure rate and a horrific run defense grade so far this year um, at 31 years old is something that might be worth looking into uh, because I don't know that he's going to command a massive haul. Again, I don't know that he would be a third round pick. His cap hit for the Philadelphia Eagles is $12.7 million. I don't know how much of that goes over to the Green Bay Packers. His base salary is only just a little over a million dollars. Um, some of this, I believe, has already been paid out, and some of it, I'm sure, the Eagles would be stuck with in terms of, of his salary. Um, the biggest issue is going to be the fact that it balloons up to $26.5 million, um, and there's a ton of, of dead, or uh, what do you call it, void years, seemingly three years of voided years here. So the Packers would have to get out of that because they're not going to absorb $30 million for Fletcher Cox in 2022. They, they can't afford that. But if they can bring on, in other words, the Eagles would have to eat all this garbage after the fact. And I don't know that they'd be willing to do that. But again, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not the, the cap guy. I know that the Eagles would have to eat some of this. The Packers would pick up some of this. And they may be willing to, to I mean, rework his contract. I don't really know how, how they can make that work based on what he comes over with. But I will say, as far as... Um, Guys that I think could come over and, and make a major impact. I think Fletcher could be one of them. Again, there's no question he's declining. But I think the, the decline we're seeing is largely inflated because this is a... And, and again, what did I talk about? Was it yesterday or the day before? There's something really powerful about mentality. Ooh, the Monday Night Football game's about to start. Let's do it. Woo, woo, woo. We're watching football. I actually get really excited about um, being able to watch football and do the podcast at the same time. Oh, the game started a while ago. What are we? How much time we got into this? The heck! I thought it started at seven thirty. What time is it? Why won't you go away so I can see the thing on the bottom? Um. Anyways, Chiefs got the ball here. Oh yeah, it just started. We're good. We're good. So I'm actually kind of excited about this game because, um, first of all, we play the Chiefs next week. So if they don't annihilate the Giants, which they they probably will, because that's kind of what they do. Um, they they kind of suck. On the off chance, the uh the Giants actually win, that would be obviously fantastic for a lot of reasons. But if they don't, one of the guys at work actually took the Giants in their survivor pool because he's psychotic. And so he's out. So it's kind of a win-win. But anyways, I'll have that going in the background. But yeah, like I said, I've been looking at the importance of mentality and just the fact that when your team is so bad and when your defense, you know, when your identity is your defense, sort of like the Bears, you look at the Bears and the identity of the team, regardless of how much you want Justin Fields to be great, no matter how good Allen Robinson is, all these different things, you know that your identity is your defense. That's just, that's not debatable. And when you give up 30 plus points in back-to-back games, it starts to have an impact on your defense. And, you know, really good guys start to play kind of good. And and the uh, decent guys start to play mediocre. And, you know, things just start to decline. Um you know, like I talked about before, where you, you realize you're human. You realize that that you're not infallible and you can, in fact, bleed. And I think the Eagles are going through that. They're just, they're not a good football team. Not that they can't have good moments. Like we saw with Fletcher Cox had two just dominant games. You'll see flashes. But there's something just with mentality where you just, you, you know you're not good anymore. So, um, yeah, that would be one that I would say uh, for sure I would sign off on and I'd be pretty excited about. Not because he's the same Fletcher Cox he was three, four years ago, because he's not, 
but because I think he could be a Whitney Merciless style player. That's that's you know better than Whitney Merciless. I think it would be a bigger impact than that, but still a similar thing where this is a declining guy that a lot of people are going to look at and go, eh, he's not the same Fletcher, but he's going to surprise some people. Again, eighth highest pass rush win percentage of any defensive tackle in all of football when we're talking one-on-one opportunities. Get him. Ooh, he went out high third down, sucker. By the way, Michael Bonham, thank you so much for jumping in on Patreon. I really appreciate that. I was just looking through. I saw some people were adding comments, so I wanted to go through and figure all that out. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. Chiefs are just moving, man. This is probably going to be a slaughter. The one thing that's going to be interesting, though, is watching their defense because the Chiefs' defense has been terrible. I know you guys already saw the game. I'm just, I'm just talking football, man. We're just hanging out. Um, but um, I'm, I'm hopeful that the Giants are going to be able to move the ball. Um, again, I'm not looking for a, I'm, I'm looking for a moral victory here or a moral defeat for the Chiefs against the Giants. But, um, anyways, let's let's move on. I think I've covered this well enough at this point. Uh, Mr. John Lambing says if they landed Odell. I wouldn't be mad at that. So this has been, this has got to be the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh time that we've been talking about Odell Beckham. Um, you know, it, it's one of the, it's, it's usually one of two camps, and I, I feel like I'm one of the few that actually falls somewhere in between. But you've either got people who are screaming, you guys need to sign Odell Beckham, or people rolling their eyes going, dude, we don't need stupid Odell Beckham, all right? It is kind of interesting, though, that every time Odell Beckham comes up, the media is 100% a hundred percent on board with that they they every every article you look at with Odell Beckham they're like uh so somebody should sign them Packers you know not naming names but Packers somebody should Packers sign the uh should should trade for Odell Beckham Packers and uh see what they can do with Packers him but um you know this is this is very similar to Fletcher Cox except I don't really have a lot of metrics that can um can lay this out for you that was the dumbest looking thing ever. I was going to say, if that was a touchdown, I was going to punch somebody. That was, you ever see those plays where it's like, that's not creative. That's you trying to be creative and you're just being an idiot. Let's direct, direct snap to the tight end, throw behind the back to the quarterback because that's completely necessary. And then have him throw to, come on now, you're just being stupid. Thank you to the Giants for covering that because if that scored a touchdown, I would have been very upset. Third and goal. Anyways, um, the, the first thing that I would say here is Odell Beckham. Let's just look at his grades, right? Because this is just, it's important to note because we got to start at a baseline of this is not the Odell Beckham of 2015 or whatever. 2014 as a rookie, 90.8 overall. Then he went to 88, 84, 69, but he was hurt. So that kind of doesn't really count. Then 90 in 2018. This is all with the Giants. Then he goes to Cleveland. His grades have been 68, 75, 66. Now, there are variables here. There are factors here. First of all, one of the most one of the most important things to note is that basically the entire time he was with New York, he was one of the best wide receivers in football. Now, he hasn't been since he left, but it certainly seems to me that it's the environment that has primarily changed things. It's possible that it's just a complete coincidence. Come on now, get him. Ha! Huh? Oh, pick that! Pick off! Yes! Yes, sir. Patty Mahomes with a pick to start the game. Oh, you love it. You just gotta love it. Anyways, it just it hasn't really been a thing since he went to Cleveland, and there just hasn't really been, um, I don't know, chemistry. And there's a lot of people talking about that. There's just something off between Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield. But it's great since he went to Cleveland, 68, 75, and 66. Last year in 2020, he was injured, so that kind of doesn't count, but that was also like his best year, so it's been like 60s the other two games. If you look at this year against Chicago in week three, which was his first week back, 76, which is fine. In week six against Arizona, he had a 90 overall grade. Let's look at the stats here and see what we're talking about. Um, Eight targets, five receptions, 79 yards, but apparently he just ripped everybody's face off and uh, Baker didn't see him or something. I don't know. He got a 90 overall grade, did nothing statistically. But his other grades outside of those games have been 56, 56, 51, 52. Not to mention that his drop grades against the Chargers and against Denver were in the 20s. And, and the biggest issue I have is the thing that kind of just does it for me, because they don't really have a ton of granular type stuff to look at, is the receiving grades. Because what I want to know from Odell Beckham is, are you winning? 
are you winning your route and just not seeing the ball? Well, if he's winning his route and, and they're just not throwing it to him, they're not going to give him a bad grade for that. Now, there, there is some nuance here. Scheme. If you're schemed open, you're open. And so I, I don't have a ton of insights other than to say it seems unlikely to me that Odell Beckham went from being the best wide receiver in football to just forgetting how to play football by switching teams, or I should say at the exact same time that he switched teams. I'm a, I'm a little skeptical of that. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical in both directions. I'm skeptical that we're going to get 2015 Odell Beckham just by trading for him because, you know, well, we have Rodgers or whatever, because that's not exactly how that works. However, we do have Rodgers. It is, it is a factor. We also have Matt LaFleur. We have Matt LaFleur, who makes guys like MVS look competent, makes guys like Alan Lazard, who are castaways, look competent, makes guys like Mercedes Lewis, revives his career, makes guys like Robert Tunyon, who is a castaway, a, uh, a, a legitimate weapon in Green Bay. Let's go Giants. And again, with a guy like Devontae there, and I know they got Jarvis Landry and stuff, but with a guy like Devontae, you know, we're really just looking at somebody that can create. We, we've got a good enough scheme and we can make things work, but can you run away from people? I mean, does, I know he's had a bunch of injuries. Does he have anywhere near 4-4-3 speed anymore? Because that's pretty fast. Uh, and, and I don't know if we're going to want to do it because I, I really think the Packers like the guys that they got. Oh, he just threw a pick right into his hands. You suck so bad. Dude, why are you so garbage? That was right into his chest. Jeez, what a loser. Also, is it weird that the giant that picked it off's name was Love and the Chiefs guy's name is Gay? Am I the only one that picked up on that being being interesting? <laughs> Just saying, love is love, man. What do you want me to do? <laughs> it's funny. Shut it. Oh, no, this dummy's going to run for a first down. I hate football. Sometimes it's stupid. I... I it, <sighs> I don't know, man. I, I, I hate being the guy that's like, yeah, let's do it. It's going to be great. But I just, I can't fathom. And I know Odell's a little bit of a, a wild card. He's a little bit out there. He hasn't been super crazy lately. Plus, he generally does better in environments where the team isn't trash, like in New York. Um, I just have such a hard time believing he's not going to, you know, I mean, we get a guy like Randall Cobb and we're happy with his level of contribution. And that's what we've been getting. A lot of guys that are decent enough contributors. And maybe the problem is Randall Cobb's asking price is obviously going to be a lot lower than Odell Beckham. You know, if we bring in Odell Beckham at a low price, I just can't imagine he's not going to be, you know, at least as impactful as a guy like Razul Douglas, which is another guy I haven't even mentioned. Another castaway that's come in here and thrived. You're telling me Odell Beckham isn't going to come in here and and perform at least better than he has with, with Cleveland? I just have, I struggle with that a lot. Um, And again, the asking price is going to be really high. I'm sure Cleveland's like, yeah, but he's still Odell. You're going to have to pay big time money to get him or, or, uh, you know, draft capital. Um, And then then there's the the contract issue, which is probably the biggest one because he's scheduled for 15 million a year. And I don't think the Packers are going to pay 15 million a year for him. Again, I don't know what they can have Cleveland pick up. Um, probably not a ton, even though a lot of these are just, yeah, get them down. Dang it. Dang it. A lot of this is, is guys just trying to get out of these cap situations. So Cleveland, if they dumped Odell, it would be about, let's get some draft capital, but also let's get him off the books. So they would be willing to eat a little bit of it so that next year they pay nothing kind of thing, you know? Yeah, we've only been through two guys. This is taking a long time. Why don't we take a break right here? We'll come back and we'll rip through some other names and see what else, uh, of interest that there is. Again, if you wouldn't mind jumping in and supporting the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. And uh, again, only need, I, I forget what number I said, but I'm, I redid the math. Only need about 900 more patrons. I know, it seems stupid, right? Why do you even bother? You're never going to get 900 more patrons. Because a lot of people listen. And again, it's just a buck. So let me know what I got to do. I've had one suggestion um, so far on Twitter. And... Uh, the suggestion was that I storm Lambeau Field during their next home game wearing nothing but a Justin Fields jersey and a smile. I can say confidently that will not happen. So Joshua, um, I will not be earning your dollar. I apologize. I just, I don't think I'm going to do that. Plus, I got to pay for a ticket, which is expensive. And then um, jail is not cheap or um, a good thing. Although it would probably hasten the whole, uh, you know, quitting my job thing because I would maybe not have a job after doing that. So it kind of pushed me out the gate, you know. 
But no, I'm not, uh, I'm not doing that. So, But I appreciate the feedback. Thank you for that. But let's take a break, and we'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, next up, Mr. Aaron Nelson says, Quinn and Williams would make my day. So this is another one that has been talked about a decent amount. I haven't heard about the Jets wanting to get rid of him recently, but he may still be out there. Uh, he's not yet even 24 years old. Um, I was a big fan of him, like pretty much everybody was coming out of college. He was a number three overall selection. Um, last year, he, uh, well, I guess going back to his rookie year, he had a just a 67 overall grade. He had 19 pressures on 350 attempts and three sacks, which is horrible. 2020, he got that up a little bit, 39 pressures on 379 attempts, basically 380, so just over 10% in eight sacks, which is great. And he didn't even play a full year, but still about 10%. So far this year, 22 pressures on 182 attempts, which again is above 10%, but um, not massively. 12%. uh, His pass rush is not bad. In fact, his pass rush got better last year. Biggest issue is run defense has completely fallen off. He hasn't had a single good game in run defense. His grades this year, 46, 61, 75, 64, 50, 56, and 59. Run defense grades, 31, 59, 66, 54, 52, 59, 53. So 50s. His best was a 67, basically, rounding up is run defense. Now, again, is it just the environment, which is somewhat harder to believe simply because the Jets generally do a good job, but, you know, who knows? Well, if we do the same trick, and I, I, I kind of cheated a little bit because I mentioned his name earlier, but maybe you forgot. But uh, Quinn and Williams, as of right now, if you look at true pass sets, is the sixth highest above Fletcher Cox. So technically, even better in one-on-ones. Here's kind of the issue, though. Um, If you look at his general win percentage, he is 10th. He's got a 15.1 overall. So it's not even that he's not doing his job as a pass rusher. His win percentage is the 10th highest in all of football. It's just the fact that overall, he's not getting the job done. The The productivity isn't quite there, even though he's technically winning, and his run defense is putrid. So I feel like what we're going to get if we bring him over is about what, what they're getting in New York. Now, again, if you're fine with that, great. Now, the, the other thing that's interesting here is Quinn and Williams, and again, I don't know if the Jets would want to get rid of him. I'm guessing they wouldn't. But he's going to be relatively cheap because he's on his rookie contract, meaning it's going to be largely draft capital to get him again he's not even 24 years old so we could have this guy for eight years so i you know i think it could be relatively similar to fletcher cox insofar as i don't know if you're going to get a ton of he's not a super well-rounded guy but he's also really really young he's obviously got some some pass rush um skills and he's coming to a better unit i mean these guys grade out fairly well as far as some of the edge and, and defensive tackle guys, but it's not Kenny Clark and Zadarius Smith and Rashawn Gary, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I, I think the biggest issue with Quinnen is I don't think the Jets want to get rid of him. Anyways, Aaron also went on to say we should trade for Jamal Williams, which, you know, sounds good to me. Aaron Miller, uh, sticking with uh, just looking at position, says offensive line or defensive line depth. 
talked a lot about defensive line. I, I don't disagree with offensive line. I don't think it would get as many people excited, um, as excited as some of the other names that we've talked about. But I have seen some names for some offensive linemen. I don't know that it would be the worst thing in the world. The only reason I would be skeptical is offensive line seems so, you know, it's it's a five-man unit. And, you know, there's time to kind of get into rhythm and everything else, but it just feels like it's it's not going to be so smooth bringing a guy in and having him learn how this whole thing operates, unless it's somebody that is familiar with with the outside zone, you know, what Matt LaFleur wants to do, which would be fine, I guess. But if we could have somebody come in, and I know we're getting Bak- uh, Bakhtiari back, so we got our left tackle. Um, assuming they really like Billy Turner, and I think they do, we got our right tackle. Elton stays at left guard. Josh Myers is our center. I think it's really just about replacing Royce Newman at right guard at this point. And again, it's a short-term thing, not a long-term thing, but it could be a beneficial thing. But I, if you're going to do it, I think you go all out. It's not, can we find a guy that's decent compared to Royce who's subpar? Forget that. If we're making a big-time splash, this guy's going to come in and dominate at right guard. The question is, does that person exist and somebody that can come in and do it seamlessly? I'm not going to lie, man. Mahomes kind of looks like trash. <laughs> this is... I mean, aside from throwing to guys that are just open, I haven't seen him make like an impressive throw all day. He's trying to throw downfield to Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill's so fast, he just burns right past the guy, but the ball was so ridiculously out of bounds. Who's ever going to catch that? I mean, if he'd have thrown it up the field, Tyreek could have got there. He's so stupid fast. I don't know. I haven't just sat and watched Pat Mahomes in a long time. Same same is true with pretty much everybody. That's why I say when I watch Tom Brady, he never looks that impressive, but... I just, I haven't seen him do anything that's impressive. Every one of his completions is guys that are just open and he just dumps it off. I mean, it's like Justin Fields, you know, guys open, throw it to him. Wow, congratulations, that's amazing. Um, the only consistent name that I'm seeing, and there's, you know, like five or six guys whose names keep coming up, and there are other names that are guards, um, forgetting the one guy's name, but Andre Dillard is an offensive tackle that keeps coming up. He's 26 years old. He's a recent draft pick, 2019. He was a first-round selection uh, number 22 overall. Um, possibly, I don't think he swings inside at 6'5", 3'10". Maybe they try him there. The Packers do like taking athletic tackles and trying him out at guard. Maybe that's something they could explore. Again, it would depend on the price. Sounds like the Eagles have tried him. They're not super excited about him, and they've got a right and left tackle. So they're like, I don't know, this kid isn't super great, and we don't really need him. So what does it really matter? Um, so maybe, but probably not. If you look at his grades and whatnot, he had a pretty rough first year in 2019. 2018, he didn't play it because of injury. 2021, he came back um, and is doing better as a pass blocker. The run blocking is still a bit of an issue, but he's he's been pretty solid. He had one bad game against uh, Las Vegas this year so far, but uh, 66, 81, 70, 80, 65, and 75 um, outside of that one game. He's been a pretty good pass blocker. But anyways, I, I get the offensive line. I just don't know that there's a ton of people that are going to be doing it. And, and again, the, the bigger issue is is the, the cohesion of it and uh, bringing a brand new person in and expecting them to just start right away. I don't really know that that's the easiest thing in the world to do. Dang, that was a catch. That was like pass interference and a catch by Ross. Dude, that, that's got to be defensive pass interference. That was crazy. Heck yeah, dude. That was awesome. Anyways... Uh, Jason's going the other way with it. Dang, Tony's throwing pass. It's like a Super Bowl, man. Sorry, I'm sorry. J- Jason says, unpopular opinion, I imagine as much as I have enjoyed them. Shop Zadarius and Preston around, see if we can get a little uh, overcompensation for them. Of teams that may be in need, the end is imminent for both. Won't be here next year. Might as well address it now if there are any takers. Probably a long shot given recent injuries to both, but you never know. Could give us picks to use in another trade or draft day capital as well instead of just drafting someone, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I get what you're saying. I, I I don't think it's, and I don't think you think it's going to happen, but I, you know, the couple issues. Number one, we just picked up Whitney Merciless because we see the need of pass rushers. It's so unbelievably important to have really good pass rushers and a good stable of them. Um and I think when we get Zadarius back, it's just going to be a really, really incredible group. And the idea of while we're really on a warpath and potentially have one of the best shots at winning a Super Bowl, we're going to get rid of a, an elite pass rusher. I just don't see it. Um, we can dump them next year just as easily as this year. 
you know, we can wait until after we win a Super Bowl and then trade him and still get draft picks for him, you know. Uh, Preston makes a little bit more sense, but I still don't really see it happening. Again, I think having the depth is really important. They like to rotate the guys out a lot, and, and you know, dropping off from, say, Zadarius to Garvin, it makes a big difference. When, when you have, let's just say our top two guys are Rashawn and Zadarius, and that's what you want all the time, but you're going to be subbing them out, and let's say they're on there 55% of the time, who those other 45% are matters, and, and having Preston and Whitney Merciless is, is extremely beneficial, as opposed to getting rid of them and then kind of getting back to Rashawn has to do it all all the time, and then his overall play declines because he's out there all the time and has to do it all and doesn't really get any rest, et cetera, et cetera. So not to say that we wouldn't sell somebody, but I just don't think we're really sellers right now. I think the Packers are doing everything they can, unless they see somebody that's just a complete waste that they don't need, which again, you could argue Preston, but I think they really like Preston. Jim agreed with that, by the way, with uh, Jason's assessment. Benny says offense, tight end or wide receiver. The wide receiver would have to be elite, otherwise just a tight end. I generally agree with with all that, although I I think my stance on it, it doesn't have to be elite, although I do think it's going to have to be in order for the Packers to have to do it because the Packers like him, but we just haven't gotten production. And that's where you look at, you could look at just about anybody, even, you know, I saw Deshaun Jackson's name being shopped. I mean, Deshaun Jackson is just a better version of MVS, even probably at this point of his career. That's all Deshaun Jackson has been, has been an elite MVS. He's a one-trick pony. I mean, that's not necessarily true. He does some work across the middle, but, you know, at, at, at large, in large part, his career has been just burning down the field and getting open and, and being that threat at all times. The issue, though, and this is like you said, they're probably going to have to be elite, is the Packers like MVS, and they're not going to just replace him with somebody that they don't know and doesn't know the offense. And and that's why, in general, I don't really see them being in the wide receiver market. They don't want to put, you know, Randall Cobb on the bench and or MVS on the bench for Odell Beckham because they have to put their guys on the bench. Even if it's going to be a slight upgrade, um, Aaron Rodgers is going to be upset because Odell Beckham doesn't know the offense and doesn't know Aaron Rodgers as well as Randall Cobb does. And I think with a lot of these pickups, there's been a level of desperation, and that's kind of where the Packers are going to look, which is where I think tight end just makes the most sense. With losing a guy, especially with that specific skill set, we don't really have that guy. Like I said, we got Daphne, we got Mercedes, we got Josiah. It's all different, though. Josiah and Daphne are the H-back types. Mercedes is an inline guy. Who's our slot guy? We don't have that guy. And so that's where you could see something like a, 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 a receiving tight end, a primarily receiving tight end type. He's, he's open. Yes, sir. Touchdown Giants, 7-7. Seven to seven. Yes, sir. But that's where there's been a lot of talk about tight end Evan Ingram, who's a guy that um, is always been on people's radar. I mean, like, kind of like a lot of tight ends. You know, somebody that had a lot of hype and just never really got the job done. You think about a guy like David Njoku or, uh, you know, whatever, um, Eric Ebron. I think Evan Ingram is kind of in that in that vein. Um, if you look at his grades overall in his career, 62, 76, 64, 60, and so far this year a 54. So he had one good year in 2018. Otherwise, he's been a pretty big, massive disappointment as a tight end. Um, but he always there's always a lot of talk about him, and people obviously must see his his potential as a as a receiver. He runs a 4-4-2, which gets people excited. But, I mean, 4-4-2, he's 240. I mean, he's just, he's a, I guess, how, how can't you use it? 240 is big, dude. 6-3, 240, runs a 4-4-2. Maybe even if he doesn't now, he runs a 4-4-5. Who cares? I don't know. Point is, he's he's always had a lot of hype and nobody's, or at least I shouldn't say nobody. He's only been with the Giants. The Giants don't know what to do with the guy. It would be kind of fun to get a guy like Evan Ingram in and use him almost as like an Alan Lazard more so than, than a... Uh, because he's, he's actually a really good pass blocker, not a very good run blocker, but imagine a six foot three, 240-pound guy you get out in space, and you got Alan Lazard and Devontae and some of these guys blocking, and you have a 240-pound tight end that's running at 4-4-2 speed, taking on safeties and uh, corners because defensive tackles have been taken out of the equation and linebackers probably can't get out there fast enough. I just wouldn't mind seeing what Matt LaFleur has in mind for uh, for his capabilities, but... Again, I don't. I don't really know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't hate it, and I do think he's a massively overhyped. That was almost picked too. Mahomes is so trash. Seriously, come on, man. What is? What am I watching right now? This guy is supposed to be really good at football. It's been a long. I mean, I watched 
the Super Bowl, I guess. He looked like trash in there, too. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, again, he's trying to throw to the wide-open guy, but he just couldn't get it over the defender. Jeez. Anyway, the, the point is, he's not, he's not that good. Not talking about Mahomes, I'm talking about Evan Ingram. But maybe the whole change of scenery, better quarterback, better scheme, maybe it'll work. I don't know. Cannot believe it's 7-7 to and Pat Mahomes can't complete a pass <laughs> against the Giants. Did you, did you guys know we're underdogs and we're like three-point underdogs against the Chiefs? This is a joke. That was Leonard Williams, by the way, another guy that's supposedly a uh, potential person. Uh, finally, let's. we got Benny the Beast has a couple things here. He says, for the right price... Wouldn't care if they gave up a third or later for a good player. Defense, defensive line, or cornerback, specifically Joe Hayden. So we talked about defensive line. Um, I think a corner is very similar to wide receiver, where if you're going to bring in a guy, he's got to be real good, because who's going to go on the bench? I know from a fan perspective, it's like, well, Stokes is not really ready, and King is terrible, and uh, so we got Razul, and, you know, it would be Razul and new guy, as in Joe Hayden or whatever. I just, I think we have a lot of guys. I think we have King, the Packers like King. I think we have Razul, the Packers like Razul. I think we have Stokes, and the Packers like Stokes. And we have Chandon, and the Packers like Chandon. And so you bring in a guy, and it's like, where does he play? And this is assuming Jair doesn't play anymore. Uh, and the, I don't think the Packers know that. If they did, they would have, you know, shut him down for the season. So I, I just, I would be stunned if today they made a big-time trade for another corner that I don't know what he's going to really be doing. Uh, Joe Hayden is another guy, by the way, that... A lot of hype, a lot of talk about Joe Hayden. He was basically good from 2010 to 2014. Um, his first real bad year came when he got injured in 2015, and it's just kind of been pretty average since then. So 33, 61, 69, 70, 70, 66, and 64 have been his grades so far this year. He had two good games, one against Buffalo. Uh, he didn't play week two, so he must have got hurt again. By the way, he's, he's almost 33 years old, a lot of injuries. He's only 5'11", 195, so, you know, he's, he's kind of getting beat up. But 85 overall grade week one, didn't play week two, then 45 overall, 46, 54, 59, and at his first good game again against Cleveland, 74 overall grade. So he's been a liability, um, and he has serious injury issues, and he's almost 33 years old. Uh, he's given up 218 yards and a touchdown, no picks and three pass breakups, 118.8 or 111.8 passer rating when targeted so far. So I have never really been a huge fan of Joe Hayden, or I shouldn't say never, but since I've been doing this podcast, at least, um, is again, the last time he was a pretty good corner was 2014. The last time he was like a, a real good corner was probably 2013. Um, so anyways, I, I again, the bigger issue with corner is unless you've got like a Jair or something just ridiculous, you know, Zavian, Zavin Howard, for example, is potentially on the trade block. I don't know if we could ever make that work. But that's the kind of guy where you look at and go, okay, that, guy, that guy's good. And if you can get him, even if Jair comes back, it's like, okay, well, those are your two guys. It's Jair and, and Zavin. And, you know, we could put Shannon, you could put King, you put, I don't care who you put in the slot, we'll make it work. But you get, I mean, last year it was literally Jair and Zavin were one and two at corner. So that would be uh, one of the situations. But only in those types of situations would I say we should go for corner. But anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. It's getting uh, kind of late on my end. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. Hopefully we get some news about the Green Bay Packers making a bit of a move just because it's fun. But if not, still got a dominant football team and um, doing doing some good stuff. Folks, have yourselves a great night. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.